Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Modern Day Motherhood Myths. How social networking, media images, and other messages can make today's moms feel inadequate. Here's Lindsay Ertz, the host of The Mom Show, heard every Sunday at noon on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on into the program today. Thank you for joining us. Over the next hour, we're going to explore some of these messages, misconceptions, and myths about motherhood that might be playing into this idea that Beth Berry calls mythological motherhood. She runs the site Revolution from Home, and she describes this gap between, and we all know it, what we're seeing, what we think is possible in motherhood, and how our realities look and feel. And I want to explore where these expectations come from and try to debunk some of these modern-day motherhood myths. Three kids is crazy, right? All I am is a taxi. Everybody just wants something from me 100% of the time. What if nobody feels the same? Teething is not going fast. Should, 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 should. There's no way I can live up to everything that society thinks I need to be. You don't want people to think you're unfit to be a mom. Any of that sound familiar to you? You're definitely not alone. Let's dive into myth number one. Social media's portrayal of motherhood is reality. You guys, I bought into this myth, not even really being conscious of it. So when I first became a mother three years ago, I really had a rocky transition. I had postpartum anxiety and OCD, and it was just a really bumpy (laughs) transition for me. It did not feel like it came, came naturally. Everything was challenging. It felt like it flipped my world upside down. And as I thought about how social media played a role in that, I realized that I never saw anyone having a hard time in motherhood. I never saw anyone not liking it. I just assumed that all the pictures I saw meant they were loving their experience or just loved being mothers or it came easily to them. They never questioned a decision. I thought everyone knew how to do it but me. And I know I'm not alone. Abby Nani says social media for her played a major role in some of the depression that she experienced. I really got into Instagram about five or six years ago when it was first like super cool I thought this is great but the more friends that I made and the more you know my contact list grew the more I discovered how unhappy I was after viewing it I would sit and scroll and see all this perfection or what I perceived was perfection and and these other moms and families of all the cool things they did for birthdays or Christmas or whatever and it's I I could tell like inside me like you know a a building of almost some depression because I felt so guilty that I was not providing that for my children. 
And then you got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, right? And it was about that point where I was feeling so much heavy mom guilt because I was not coping well with not being able to provide my kids everything that they needed just on a basic level, like make dinner, you know? And so as you're scrolling through Instagram as somebody who's got a chronic illness and in bed most of the time, holy cow, it really it really came to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm the one with the problem. Like I'm the one that's feeling inadequate. It's not their fault. These pictures are wonderful and I love seeing them in their joy moments, as you call it. But I finally had to say, I, I got to step back. This is making me feel like a horrible, terrible mother, person, wife. <laughs> and so I just gave it up and I haven't been back on since. And I'll tell you what, it was the best thing that I ever did for myself. Let me bring in Dr. Julie Hanks of Wasatch Family Therapy, who's been seeing patients for over 20 years and has a lot of experience talking with moms through therapy sessions. I think the reason why this happens, has happened so much in the, in the social media age, is because when we capture those moments of joy, that's what we post. Right. Right? We don't post the the myriad of other emotions. Like I said this to my husband the other day, I was like, if I posted today, like from my camera roll, I would post this picture. And this is why, because it's the happy, it's a smiling one. But I thought about all the myriad of emotions, myriad range of emotions that I experienced in that day. And I was, and I was like, yeah, this is one moment of those. Mm -hmm. That's what you're seeing on social media. Right. The one moment. Right. But we internalize it as the reality. And so I think that's a great reframe is that if we see, oh, that's the joy, that's their joy moment of the day. That's their joy moment of the day. It's not the whole entire day. <laughs> right. And it's not the necessarily even the whole entire experience. No, it's that it's that joy moment that that we want to capture and hold on to. And I know I am so guilty of this, and I think we all are at times, of perpetuating the perfect mom message on social media. Do you think there's a psychological reason why, why maybe we tend to only post the happy? I think it has to do with our need to be loved and accepted and feel like we belong. And now we have this other method that we didn't have before when I was growing up to to do that. Yeah, and it's certainly not all bad to use social media. Many women use it to connect, to validate, to find information. But if you're finding yourself always feeling bad when you're on it, take a look at what you're believing about those messages. Do you believe that everyone else is loving motherhood and you're just broken because you're hating it? Do you believe that everyone has perfect families and nobody else's children fight? And every time you see a picture, it reinforces that belief. What are you believing about what you see on social media? Okay, let's dive into myth number two. The myth that you should be enjoying motherhood all the time. Don't you love when you get well-meaning advice from people like, just enjoy it, it goes by so fast. And I think because we know that, we feel badly when we're not enjoying every minute of motherhood. I think we know how lucky we are to be moms. I think we know that there are millions of women who want desperately to be mothers, and we feel badly when we complain about our situations. But there's got to be room for us to allow both to exist. And I talked with Mom of Three, Lindsay Maxfield. We talked about how she hasn't really enjoyed her motherhood experience. 80% of the time, I've hated motherhood. Really? And that's, that's really a conservative estimate. I would say most days, 90% of my day, I hate it. And then I hate myself for hating it. And it's just that shame spiral that goes on and on. It doesn't mean I don't love my kids. It's I hate this role that I'm playing right now. And tell me what part of it you hate. 
<laughs> or or has the collective experience been something you hated? That's what it is because I'm really at war with the expectations and what I want. I have really high standards in everything in my life. And so it's not just I wish my kids were a little happier, kinder, more patient, whatever. It's not just that stuff. It's the fact that I'm not content to just be at home all day. And yet my role as mother right now with small children is being at home all day. That right there contributes to like 80% of my discontent. Mm. It is hard. I have a six-year-old and three-year-old identical twins, and having so many small children at once has been hard for me. The screaming has been hard for me. Just my nerves are not such that I can handle loud noises, and having young children is having loud noises. uh, Are anyone's? (laughs) Right? Well, and this is what I learned is that so much of my my issue, because I thought it was just me. I'm not assimilating well. I'm not sacrificing enough. I'm not spending enough time loving them and cherishing them. I say that to myself all the time, Lindsay. I'm like, what is wrong? with me that this has been such a hard transition for me. Right. I I know 100. I, I, I know. I know. I get it. What I have learned, first of all, it's multi-multifaceted. But the biggest thing for me was learning that by and large, the reason I'm so upset is that I have a lot of wounds in me that I haven't healed. And so every time something, I, I use the analogy that it's like I'm having darts thrown at me all day long. Mom, mom, I want this. Mom, you never let me do this. Mom, let's go play. Everything feels like a dart. And the reason is, is because I'm very tender and wounded underneath. And I hadn't really dealt with all these inner wounds that I have. And so every emotional motherhood upset was made 50 times worse because I was already wounded underneath. Whenever I would hear my child scream, it really would set off a PTSD-like shock. And I would have panic attacks and I would shake and it it was really traumatic for me. And then it suddenly clicked into place. Anytime I would have a child scream, whether it was my own or someone else's, it would trigger that same response. And so just healing those, um, that trauma that I went through at the time has been huge. And tell me what you do to kind of resolve some of that shame you said you were feeling around not loving your motherhood experience. What's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food is... Sushi. Sushi. Is that a food or is that like a sure. collective meal? That's cool. That's okay. cool. She right. loves sushi. <laughs> you know, my mom loves sushi. My sister loves sushi. I see all these moms in the neighborhood. They're like posting pictures of their sushi. They go out to eat and have sushi and talk about how much they love sushi. But I kind of hate it. And it makes me sick. And I get like anxiety thinking about going to a sushi restaurant. Is there something wrong with me? Everyone around me loves sushi, Lindsay. Why don't I love sushi? What is the matter with me? I need to get into therapy because everyone loves sushi and I just don't love sushi. And what's wrong with my life? Do you see the problem here? Yes. You don't have to love sushi. You don't have to love sushi. It's okay. It's okay to feel what you feel. It's okay to not love motherhood. It does not make you a bad person. It does not make you a bad mother. No. You can be a fantastic mother and not be loving the entire experience. Exactly. Because it's not about warm fuzzies. It's about being the kind of person that your children need. All right. Coming up on Modern Day Motherhood Myths, we'll explore how ads idealize motherhood for us and the myth there's one right way to parent. This entire episode is on our Conference Conversations page at the KSL News Radio app. General Conference continues. Coming up at 2. Back to Modern Day Motherhood Myths on KSL News Radio. Hi, I'm Lindsay Ayers, host of The Mom Show. It airs Sundays at noon here on KSL News Radio. Myth number three is that advertising movies and stories on TV are true to reality. 
Now, I think it's easy to logically know this is not true, but when you really stop and think about what am I believing, this is where it got tricky for me when I first became a mother. It was, how come I'm just seeing all these mothers loving it and I'm having such a hard experience? Let me bring in Dr. Julie Hanks of Wasatch Family Therapy. Julie, you call this the idealization of motherhood. Motherhood has not been idealized uh, throughout history. That's a fairly new, like mid-1900s idealization of, of motherhood. I mean, we're working on farms and working together with our, before the Industrial Revolution, people, it was an agrarian society. So everybody's working all day long to survive. And so it, there wasn't this, oh, let's bake some, you know, you're baking bread because that's your only option. Not right. like, oh, I'm going to be a good mom today and bake some bread. Or I'm right. going to do So this idealization, I think it comes along with television, too, mm. um, in the 1900s. Let's take a look at one of these ads that idealizes motherhood, makes it look like this is the experience you should be having. When I talked with mom of three, Lindsay Maxfield, she agreed. Johnson & Johnson, where you're lovingly lotioning your baby after a bathtub. Johnson's believes that bath time is more than cleansing and moisturizing. It's a time for development. Your loving touch stimulates his senses and nurtures his growing mind. Mine screamed like drowned cats when I took them out of the bath. So I had all this guilt and sadness of like, bath time's supposed to be cozy and fun and we're bonding. No, we were not. We were wrangling a monster into pajamas and getting him in the crib as fast as we could. The ad that I love and that all mothers love is the chat books ad. I have three kids and I work from home, so people always ask me how I stay so calm and organized. <laughs> I'm kidding. Do you think I have time for a bath? I'm fully clothed. I fell in the tub while I was timing my son holding his breath. <gasps> 26 seconds! Now go fetch mommy's hair dryer. Motherhood goes by too fast. I haven't slept more than four hours in 12 years. My diet consists of the protein bars and pita chips I inhale in the dark in my pantry. And my children are growing like weeds, but I barely have enough time to keep them alive, <laughs> let alone print pictures of them. <laughs> because oh, yeah. it's poking fun. We all know inherently that that's bullcrap, that moms do it. But the fact that that ad exists just shows the double standard, shows that it's out there, and shows that we're all laughing. If we're not crying inside, we're laughing. Yeah, we really got to be on the lookout for ads that are trying to sell us this idea of the way motherhood should look. Dr. Hanks, I want to bring you back in. Why do you think advertisers do this? Their job is to make you think that you need their product, right? So that where you are is not enough. And so I think the first step is just being aware that that's the game that they're playing mm. and you can buy into it or not. Right. Mm. Like, am I really going to be a better mom if I buy this kind of cereal for breakfast? Like, no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. And, and did they know they're doing it? They, yes. they sit down in these meetings and they say, how can we make them think they're not enough? No. How can we make this look appealing? And I mean, I don't think it's, you know, sinister. It's so but, overt. Right? But, but that's the goal. Yeah. Right. To go. Your life would be better if you had this product. And that's not the case. It's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we're conscious about it, then we can go, oh, I, I actually don't buy into that. Okay, myth number four. This is the myth that there is one right way to parent. 
And I think the only right way to parent is the one that aligns with your values and what you find important. But it's easy to fall victim to this myth that what you're doing is not right because oftentimes you get criticism for what you are doing. Like Gainalyn Condi, mom of two from Utah County who put her kid in a charter school when that was virtually unheard of 20 years ago. It was this kind of crazy social experience because by making that choice for that child, all the other moms around me um, had opinions. So my fear was like, if my child goes to the school that nobody else's kid is going to go to, he will have no friends in the neighborhood. And literally mom said that to me, which was my fear, right? right? So all of a sudden, it's not like they're bringing up the thing I'm fine with. And I had to talk myself through that each time. So when moms would say, why are you choosing that? They thought that that choice at some level, some of them thought that meant that the choice they had made for their child was wrong. Yeah. And so I think you make the choice for what's best on your family based on what you value and you find important. And then you like your reason. And if you like your reason, it's not going to matter what anyone else says. And I want to play you one more advertisement that gets it right when it comes to the messaging of motherhood, but really does illustrate how many choices there are and none of them are necessarily wrong. Breastfeeding didn't work out. Guess what? World's still turning. Go to work? I'm missing his childhood. Stay at home? Well, I have no ambition. Yeah, I bribe my kids. How else do you think stuff gets done around here? No, I'm not the grandma. Do I look like her grandma? See, there's a million different ways you can parent, and not one of them is necessarily wrong. But believing the myth that there's one right way to parent means you're inevitably going to feel like a failure every time you're not living up to whatever that expectation you have for motherhood is. Coming up, we'll look at mom guilt, why you should not be feeling it, and also explore the myths between working versus staying at home moms. Our special modern day motherhood myths continues on KSL News Radio. This is Modern Day Motherhood Myths. How social networking, media images, and other messages can make today's moms feel inadequate. Here's Lindsay Ertz, the host of The Mom Show, heard every Sunday at noon on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into Modern Day Motherhood Myths. Thank you for joining us. Myth number five is that mom guilt comes with the job. And I don't think it needs to, because I think we should use guilt not as self-punishment and self-judgment, but as information. Dr. Julie Hanks, you're a therapist down at Wasatch Family Therapy. Help me understand guilt. So say, for example, that I haven't spent as much time as I'd like to with my daughter recently because I've been working a lot mm-hmm. and I feel a little bit of guilt that I'm not spending as much time with my daughter as so I should. So w- that guilt is there to propel you to do something, to, to remedy that. Well, which so is... either I can change the action, right? I can mm-hmm. work less or I can spend more time with her or rearrange my schedule. Or I can say, like, thank you, brain, for, you know, signaling me that this is, yeah, that I need to take action here, that something's amiss. Mm-hmm. You know what? I value working and I value my daughter and time with her. Those are two good things. Yeah. I'm good right now. Or, no, I'm going to make a change. Right. So you get to decide what that that guilt is telling you. Right. But maybe under the guilt is something else 
maybe you're missing her. Yeah. And that's like more inspiring and than that's guilt. Normal. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I miss her. Well, yeah, you're away from her and you're used to being there more and that's okay. And you like spending time with her. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. So so kind of mining that or unpacking the emotion can sometimes help to I think feeling the guilt is inevitable, but staying in the guilt is where it can create a problem. And then important to not turn it into shame, whereas I'm a bad person because I'm not spending enough time with my daughter, right? And it can also create problems if you've got other stuff going on. Like when Abby Nani was in the postpartum period, she said that extreme guilt coupled with what was happening to her postpartum really sent her into a downward spiral. Um, My husband was working, gosh, 12, 14-hour days, and he'd come home, gosh, probably about 30 minutes after the kids were in bed, and then he would come home and just want to crash. And so I felt totally alone in motherhood, very isolated. And for me, it was more an anxiousness that I just couldn't do enough. Everything made me so anxious if the house wasn't perfect, if I wasn't feeding my kids the right stuff. I mean, just... All of what they, what you expect or society expects mothers to be, I had just let it bury on top of my postpartum depression. And at, at my lowest low, right before my doctor's appointment, um, I, I frankly felt suicidal. Like I would be, it would be better for my children if I wasn't here because I wasn't doing enough for them. I was, th- that's how bad it got for me. Let me bring in Gainalyn Condy. She's an author, a public speaker. Gainalyn, you've seen that this mom guilt happens if you're not even technically a mom. I have heard the two biggest shame triggers for women are body image. The second is motherhood. Even if a woman isn't a mom, her biggest trigger is motherhood. If that doesn't tell you what women are dealing with, that to me is astonishing. You could be a woman walking on this planet never intending to be a mother and you're still going to get triggered every day Mm. with motherhood guilt. I do a ton of public speaking and my most vulnerable group right now in the last year has become the grandmothers, which kind of makes me sad because I've been kind of hoping that once I hit a certain age, I'll just be like, I'm so good with myself. Mm -hmm. But what I'm seeing in all the interactions with women around the world is that grandmas are having this weird guilt Because there's so much information available and they're watching their kids parent different than they did. They're thinking, oh my gosh, I totally messed up my kids. Why didn't I do it that way? Why didn't I do organic food? Why didn't I do whatever, right? And I always say you do the best you can with the knowledge you have at the time. Okay, I so appreciate the sentiment, grandmas, but this is what it's like to parent in 2017. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed, foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard, and 1.5 siblings based at least two years apart for proper development. Also, don't forget the coconut oil. How to be a parent in literally every generation before ours? Feed them. Sometimes. This is the standard we're living against. We're all going to feel guilty because none of us are doing all of this, right? But it's really important that you take a look at what two things are butting up against each other, causing you to feel that guilt. Identify both of them and say, okay, I value In my example, 
spending time with my daughter. I miss her. I love her. I also value my work and what I do. Those two things are at odds right now, hence why I'm feeling the guilt. Let me assess if I want to make a change or let me assess if I want to change what I'm believing. And part of what I might have been believing leads me to myth number six. A desire to stay home means you have less motivation or competency, and a desire to work means you love your kids less. Let me bring in Sydney Beer. She's completely different than me, and she has always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. When I was a little girl, that is what I wanted to do, and that is what I dreamt of. My husband had lost his job when I was pregnant with um, Rock, my first, and so I did have to work, and I cried every single day. <laughs> and so, though I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom my whole life, I had a grandmother who was so, like, get your education. Like, you have to do that, and I didn't. I fell in love with a boy, and I dropped everything, and I ran to get him to marry me, and I never went back to school. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But I still, even though I chased my dream and I went after what I wanted, I still say I'm just a mom. I just stay home. I have to literally pump myself up about it that what I am doing is okay. There was a time in the 50s that we um, talked about staying at home a little bit more with with more pride. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of almost daring to bring that back. Um, But I think we should. And I think what you're saying is interesting, though, about, you know, women who, like you, want to stay home, desire to stay home. And then there's women like me. I hate staying home. (laughs) And I feel so awful that I hate it because I do share some of the same beliefs about how, you know, important it is to, to raise our children. But if I'm seen as someone who doesn't love their child as much as you, that's what I take issue with, right? Because of course. I absolutely love my daughter. doesn't mean I love her any less. The fact that I want to go work, it's just something that fulfills and values me and it makes me a better mom for her. So I think either way, in either situation you're in, there's always judgments coming from other people and we need to cut that out. We do. We need to realize that we have the same goal. Right. You and I have completely different lives and different setups, but we have the same goal. We want our children to know that they're loved we want them to know that they can be happy, that they could be successful, that they should be confident, and that they are loved. Would Do you have a different, like, is that your nope, goal? that's the goal. I just, hey. I want a relationship with my daughter. I want her, yeah, I want her to know how, how special she is and talented she is. It, yeah, whether I'm with her 24 hours a day or not, right. it's the same goal. And both of our um, our families are being blessed by our decisions. Yeah, and just like you had to pump yourself up to stay home, I kind of had to talk myself out of some shame around wanting to work. Dr. Hanks, you coined this term aspirational shame. Tell me what it is. The feeling of being a bad person or the experience of being unworthy because of goals and aspirations outside of home and family. And so it's a specific kind of shame around those aspirations. And I, I named it because I named that experience for myself because mm-hmm. I have always had big dreams for myself in addition to wanting a home and family, marriage and family. And I thought that that meant I was a bad person. <laughs> right. That message should not be there. Yeah. Like, why is that there? Right. Because we think in, in either ors. And so that and, you know, I can I can be a dedicated wife and mother and a therapist and an author. And mm. the word and is so critical there. Yes. Coming up, we'll look at why motherhood can feel so isolating, plus why asking for help is so hard. It's all on modern day motherhood myths coming up on KSL News Radio.
General Conference continues. Coming up at 2. Back to Modern Day Motherhood Myths on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into Modern Day Motherhood Myths. Thank you for joining us. We're exploring some of the myths today in motherhood that might be widening the gap between our expectations, what we think is possible in motherhood, and the realities of what's happening in our lives. Myth number seven. You are alone, and asking for help is a sign of weakness. Now, I think motherhood can feel really isolating at times, and it's so easy to believe that nobody else is having the thoughts you're having or the experience that you're having. And because we fear a lot of judgment, and there is a lot of judgment that exists in motherhood, we stay silent, and we stay hidden, and we stay lonely. Mom of three, Sydney Beer, had a really tough pregnancy. She was diagnosed with placenta previa, hospitalized for multiple months during her pregnancy, and she was away from her family. And then after she had the baby, spiraled into a really dark uh, postpartum depression. My husband said I needed to go talk to my doctor, but I did not want to. I did not want to because I handled the hospital so well, and I did not want to go back to my doctor and be like, hey, remember when you thought I was super strong and Mm. so positive? I felt embarrassed. Right. Um, I didn't want, I liked people thinking I was strong. I liked people thinking that I had had gone through something hard and came out on top. Um, and I didn't want to, I thought, hey, that image is there. And I know I am not alone on this. I don't like to ask for help. I don't like people to know I'm struggling. I don't like to look weak. I don't like to look like I don't have it together, that I can't handle my own situation. Um, I have heard people say, well, they shouldn't have had so many kids if they can't handle it or, you know, if bills are tight. You know, you hear that stuff um, and you don't want to be in that category of, well, you overdid it, didn't you? Once I started getting help, once I started talking about it a little bit, and it started with small Facebook messages to people I didn't know. I went and saw my doctor and I was so scared to take medicine and I didn't. And looking back, I would have immediately. I did go speak to a therapist, but I only went one time. And I think that was probably one of the biggest um, keys to my recovering from this is that I have opened up about it. I didn't Mm -hmm. keep it inside anymore where it was weighing me down. I said, okay, this is hard. I am not doing okay. My mental well-being is not in a good place, um, and I'm, I need some help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Julie Hanks of Wasatch Family Therapy has been seeing clients for 20 years. Dr. Hanks, what do you think it is about asking for help? Because getting help means I'm not cutting it. I'm not good enough. I'm failing. Right. Why? Why does it mean that? Why It shouldn't it, mean that. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to mean that. Right. Um, but underneath that is a belief that I should be able to do everything by myself, and that's actually impossible. I mean, we we need each other um, for our very survival. And kind of the way our homes and families are set up now, we are kind of isolated. It is the exception in the history of the world that a single person, often a woman, is alone in, in one house with one child. Kids were raised in communities, in small communities, in extended families. So no wonder it feels isolating. It is isolating. Right. We we need the support of other people. And we've lost that in our current, you know, modern society. We don't live with extended family. We don't live in, most of us don't live in small communities where there's that sense of, you know, there's this village mentality. Okay, so now we know that there are a lot of modern-day motherhood myths out there, things that we're believing that are adding to these feelings of inadequacy and shame and not good enough feelings in motherhood. And here's what I think it comes down to. 
Why aren't we really buying into the fact that we can all choose differently? The reason we're here as humans, we're not here to be drones, right? The science fiction dystopia, that's fiction. We're here to choose in every moment of our lives. And when we do that, we get to create our own experience. And if I'm sitting here making the choices that feel imposed on me, I'm not using my free will. I'm going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. No matter, you know, if that choice seems really good and noble and beautiful, it doesn't matter because it's not my free will actively choosing it. It's me feeling coerced and pushed and guilted into it. Do what feels good to you and your kids will feel joy. So here's how I think we don't fall victim to believing these modern day motherhood myths. Define for yourself clearly and specifically what it means to be a good mom. Like when you get to the end of the day, how do you know that you've done a good job? If you haven't clearly defined it, you're probably going to be believing some of the things we talked about today. And it's not going to feel very good because there's a lot of high expectations out there. For me, I've clearly defined a good mom for myself as, did I feed my child every day? Or at least attempt to feed her. Try to keep her alive. (laughs) Did I validate her emotions as much as possible? Something very important to me. Did I try to show love? as much as I could? And did I try to teach her something? Those are all things that I value in motherhood. And if that's my standard, then the rest of it is going to bounce off me because it doesn't fall within my expectations for what a good mom means. So I can say good for her, not for me when I see all this other stuff out there telling me what a good mom is supposed to be. Go home, make your own list, clearly define for yourself what it means to be a good mom, and I promise you'll find more joy, more love, more excitement in motherhood, and I wish that for every mom out there. I'm Lindsay Ertz. Thank you for joining us today on Modern Day Motherhood Miss. The Mom Show airs Sundays at noon on KSL News Radio. You can hear this entire program on our conference conversations page by downloading the KSL News Radio app.